This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Keith, I'm ha- I, I, I texted you today personally because I wanted to have you on because I placed a wager on uh, Malcolm Brogdon to win sixth man of the year plus 500. Russell Westbrook right now is minus 125 to win the award. And I just, I don't know, man, if the Lakers fade away, which I mean, they're probably not going anywhere. They're going to get Anthony Davis back here soon. We think I just, I can't make the case for Russell West, Russell Westbrook at that price. If Boston finishes the number one seed in the East, like I expect, how does Malcolm Brogdon not win six man of the year with everything that he brings leading the second unit, both scoring and assisting the basketball this year? Yeah, I think what we see happen a lot with these awards is sometimes it turns into the collective, like, oh, man, this team was first, so we got to reward everybody. And sometimes that snowballs, and that that could be the way Brogdon wins it. But I'll say I think he would also be very deserving. I think he's played great. I think Westbrook's win would come in if somebody pulls up basketball reference and is like, well, he had the most points, rebounds, and assists every night off the bench. So right. I'm just giving it to him. And and I don't, I hate to beat up my media brethren, but when some of them openly admit that's what they do when they fill out their awards ballot, that's sometimes how those awards get won. So it is what it is there. But yeah, I, I think Brogdon definitely has a real chance of winning sixth man. And I think he'd be very deserving because he's played great in that role all season. Yeah, and it's like historically, I just even growing up, like it was the Bulls win 72 games, Tony Kukoc, or the Knicks win 55 and it's John Starks or the Supersonics, you know, and it's like Sam Perkins. It was always good teams, though. And the other narrative I don't understand with Russ is, well, he was the superstar. He's this former MVP that's accepted this bench role. What other choice did he really have? And I love Russ. I mean, um, what was his other choice though? If he wasn't going to accept the bench role, they, he, they weren't going to start him. Yeah. That, no, well, and my thing is, I think it is narratively, it is great that he accepted that. And we're seeing some guys can make that transition. Other guys can't, but I don't think you give an award based on, well, he didn't act like a huge jerk. So we have to reward yeah. him for that. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, that that's where, and, and I'm not saying that's how it necessarily would have went. But again, I do. I, I know what you're saying with that because I have seen some people say, "Well, you got to kind of reward, you know, him for making this big uh, career transition as well." Which, I mean, fine, I guess. But I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's necessarily how it should work. I'm actually curious about this award too, Keith. And I'm looking at the Brooklyn Nets and last year and the year before that, for that matter. The Brooklyn Nets defensively were abysmal. Like they had spurts where they played pretty good defense, but. Ever since Jacques Vaughn took over, they've been 
insane defensively. Last 15 games, they're actually number two in the league for defensive rating. And you look at Nick Claxton, and he's just been an absolute beast, leading the league in blocks, does a little bit of everything for the Nets, and it's really just him kind of anchoring things for them. He's plus 900 right now to win Defensive Player of the Year, right uh, behind Jaron Jackson and Brooke Lopez. Do you think that there's any any real reality that he could win it? I think he could. I think what you're going to need there is kind of that groundswell of support, like what Marcus Smart mm. got yeah. last year, where it's like we got to you know reward this guy's maybe a little bit out of the public consciousness with with this. Unfortunately, I think that might end up being Jaron Jackson Jr. because it's still he plays on Memphis. They're not a big market team. A lot of people still don't necessarily recognize how good he is and how good they are. So that may be where the the voters kind of really push that, but. We could see that happen with, with Nick Claxton. And again, he'd be a guy who's really deserved. One of the things I think that's been really good is Jacques Vaughn, when he took over, um, basically, if you watch them play it, we're not going to do 15 different things defensively night to night. We're going to do a few things. But what I'm going to ask you to do is play really hard with a ton of effort and execute at a high level. And that's all been geared around Nick Claxton being kind of Hey, I'll cover for anybody. If anything breaks down out on the perimeter, I got you. I'll, you know, handle this on the back line. And he's done a wonderful job with that. He's, he's him and the return to health of Ben Simmons. And then also it gets missed because he's such a wonderful player in the other facets of the game. But Kevin Durant is one heck of a defensive player too. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. You know, I'm really curious if it's just me. Because when I look at what's happening with Atlanta, with – all of the organizational changes that have been made in the middle of the year with the owner's son taking over, bringing in Kyle Korver, bringing in Landry Fields, uh, bringing in, you know, former beat reporters for the Washington or for the uh, Golden State Warriors, excuse me. Is that, is this like, is it just me or is that weird? Yeah, the whole thing's a little weird. The, the fact that we're on a second coach that the star player is having issues with is a little weird, but their their whole handling that front office it's not uncommon when we get the whole well you know this guy's gonna stay on as a consultant when we all know he's not consulting anything at all yeah, yeah. but then it's very very plainly made and leaked to the media of hey that's not actually happening he's completely out of here um even though you know the press release said otherwise that whole situation has gone a little sideways and i think there's a lot of dysfunction there that that's a team that when you watch them play they don't look happy they don't look like they really want to play together. It just looks like a whole bunch of guys that are doing their own thing a lot of times. And I think what's happened is they had that really good year a couple of years ago, and then they bought into it too much, where it was instead of recognizing, well, yeah, there was a weird stuff going on in the East, and a couple of teams were injured, and we made it past them, and you know we made this run of the East Finals. It was, no, this is who we are now. And then when they weren't that last year, it was like, uh-oh, and now that's carried over to this year where it's been now become a real problem for that team that they've got to figure out. How much better, how much of a boost do you think John Collins would have production-wise if he went to a change of scenery? Huge. I think John Collins is a really, really good player, and I know a lot of people are like, what happened to his shooting? He's not shooting as well. And I, my take on that is when I watch the Hawks, it's hard to, when you're a rhythm guy to find rhythm when you get a quality touch once every five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten possessions. Yeah. Because you have two guards that dominate all the touches. And and I'm not calling Trey Young and DeJounte Murray selfish. 
they're just that's who they are as players. They're going to have the ball a ton. I think they their hope was let's give Trey another guy so he can get off the ball a little bit. Another guy, Mario, can help ease his playmaking burden. But what you do sometimes there is now you can't find that balance to be everybody to the touch as they need to be involved and engaged in the game. Keith, we've been talking a lot about the West and uh, who to make the case for this year. And preseason, I picked the Clippers. Right now, I believe they're seventh in the West, and they've lost eight of their last ten games. Paul George came back last night. wasn't enough even against the Philadelphia 76ers. But uh, And they've had guys in and out of the lineup all season long, I know. What do you make of the Clippers? Do you think they could get right? Do you think they maybe need to make a move at the deadline? Can they even make a move at the deadline? Just uh, where, where are you at with them right now? Yeah, you and me both. I picked them to make it out of the West, too. And I thought even when they're resting guys, their their overall depth of talent is so large, they'll be fine. And the reality is, in a era where teams have devalued the regular season and basically said, yeah, we just got to get the playoffs healthy, no one has done more so of that than the Clippers. They just blatantly don't care. It's like, we don't care who we play. It doesn't matter. We're just, you know, kind of out here getting through this. And I think their challenge is that's in general fine to an extent, but they've taken it too far where you cannot go into the postseason with your very best lineup having played something like 100 minutes together all year. You don't know what that looks or what you think are your best lineups. You don't even know if they are. And I, can they make a move? Yeah, they can make moves because they've got some salary sitting on their books. Like a guy like Robert Covington, not really a rotation player all the time. Reggie Jackson had been removed from the rotation in the last few weeks. Uh, he's getting back in there now with John Wall injured. But you've got matching salary. We know Steve Ballmer. He's not going to be afraid to take on a little bit more salary because he made whatever amount it'd be the penalty in the time it took me to say that sentence. So they're just going to do what they need to do. But I am worried about them because I just don't think you can go and have a successful playoff run when a lot of your guys are looking at each other like, oh, this is the first time we've played together. Let's see how this goes when you're in game one of a playoff series. Keith, who are you more worried about, um, not just this year, but I guess in the intermediate term, uh, the Blazers or the Raptors? Blazers in their last 10, 3-7, 23rd defensive rating. There's a lot of things happening there defensively, just losing games late. And then Toronto, 5-5 in their last 10. But they feel like maybe there's some issues with guys not liking each other, not liking their role, maybe having friction with Nick Nurse. Yeah, a lot more worried about the Raptors. I think they're, uh, I forget what they call it. I want to say they called it something like uh, um, Project 6-9 or whatever it was because they were running all these dudes out there that were the same size. And they had this plan of like, we're going to be super switchable and all this stuff. And that sounded good, except all of a sudden, none of those guys can shoot anymore. And they completely disregarded that side of the of the court. And their defense is good, but it's not like dominant top of the league good. So I'm very worried about them uh, collectively as a group. I, I think there's a good chance that they are going to be you know, really in trouble if they don't make some moves. Portland, I think, is more of a – this was always a building season for them mm. of – hey, we reset things, let's kind of get things moving in the right direction again, get Damian Lillard healthy. And I think they're, they're in general, understanding of where they are in the place of, hey, we're fighting around the playing line. I think they get it. Where Toronto was, hey, we had bigger ambitions than this. We're not there. And I think we're going to see major changes come from Toronto, whether it's at the deadline or whether it's over the summer. That team's going to look very, very different soon. Kane, thanks so much, man, for joining us. We'll be in touch. Uh, keep up the great work.